<laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right. Phlegm is out. Voice is in. Let's go. Lure love. I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box. Just got to fill it up. Lure love. I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. And here are the hosts of the Lore Love Podcast. John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tackle Box Beat. Hey Lucy, what's shaking? Hold on and I will check for any seismic anomalies with the U.S. Geological Service. No, that, that's not what I meant. Oh, never mind. John, we shared the news in a previous podcast about eight-year-old Logan from Boyd's Bites who sells his soft baits at a local farmer's market and also in a stand in front of his house. And while there are a lot of hand-poured soft bait companies out there, what really intrigued us was that Logan picks the colors and the scents of the baits, and he also hand massages the scents into the plastic baits. Well, I say there's a lot of savvy going on there because every lure company needs to differentiate themselves they need to stand out i mean you just said there's a lot of hand poured soft bait companies out there so having hand massage sense is something i've never seen before never heard of before so great job in setting your baits apart logan logan's mom and dad mailed us a few packages of boyd's bites which i used in the test pond and no surprise they certainly caught fish but john i almost didn't get to the test pond what why not what happened well, I opened the pack of the garlic scented swim baits and I put my nose deep in the bag and I took a large whiff and that smell of garlic transported me to when I had spent some time in Italy eating linguine and garlic sauce and sipping on a local Chianti. Oh, the memories. Well, that's some good garlic. Yeah. But then I opened the pack of crawfish scented curly tail grubs and I stuck my nose deep in that bag and I took a deep breath and I was transported to New Orleans and memories of eating plates of steamed crayfish with some raw oysters on the side and a little street cafe. Wait, now that sounds delicious too. But then I went back to the garlic pack and took a whiff of that and then back to the crayfish pack and then back to the garlic pack. Well, no wonder you were late getting to the pond. But John, then it hit me. These two scents, they belong together. So here's what I did. I poured the garlic swim baits into the pack of the crawfish curly tail grubs, and I massaged them together just like Logan would do. And do you know what? I, I'm sorry I'm laughing so hard, but I'm just picturing this, okay? Tell me, Tim, what happened, man? Well, I stuck my nose in the pack with the scents of garlic and crayfish combined, mingling together there, and it transported me to this little bistro I once visited in Charlotte, North Carolina, that served the best crawfish scampi around. Oh, now you're talking. And I don't know another lure company that has hand massage soft plastics, but certainly nobody has hand massage soft plastics with a crayfish scampi scent. So I hope Logan is listening and decides to add crawfish scampi scent to his repertoire of scents. Oh, man, I do, too, man. You're making me hungry. And in fact, I want someone to count those baits to make sure they all made it to the pond and they all made it back to your tackle box because um, I kind of see some weird pasta dishes in your family's future. I may have actually swallowed a couple of the swim baits, John. <laughs>
So keep up the great work, Logan. I will include a link to Boyd's Bites, their Facebook page, as well as a recipe I found for crawfish scampi in the show notes. All right, Tim, you've been sending me bunches of photos of all these new vintage lures you've been buying. I mean, what do you, you you've got to be in the hundreds by now. I have bought a lot of lures, John. Tim, you have purchased 1,118 fishing lures in the past four months. Wow, 1,118 lures. My goodness. Like our theme song says, why buy one lure when you can buy 1,118 lures, right? (laughs) Now, how did that happen? Well, John, I wanted to buy a few vintage lures that we could review on the podcast. And I guess I just got a little carried away. Oh, man, carried away in the best way. I'm not complaining, but wow, a thousand lures. But Tim didn't keep all of them. He sold 606 of the 1,118 fishing lures. All right. So what's the deal, bro? I mean, you got big dealer ambitions. You want to be the lure king of Ohio? What's going on? John, this may sound kind of crazy, but my goal was to see if I could get a bunch of vintage fishing lures that I could fish and report on for the podcast and to not spend any money doing it. So let me give you an example. If I buy 10 lures for a dollar each for a total of $10 and I can sell five of those lures for $2 each, then I still have my original $10 and I would also have five lures to fish. So I've never tried anything like this before, but I thought maybe it's worth a shot. Hey, flip that lure, flip that lure, flip, 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 flip. Flip that lure, Tim. Yeah, I'm loving it. All right, brother. It's kind of like that old Frank Zappa song, Montana. Do you remember that? Going to Montana soon. Gonna be a fishing lure tycoon. Uh, I think the lyric was dental floss tycoon. I know that, but who wants to be a dental floss tycoon? (laughs) I want to be a fishing lure tycoon. My goodness. All right. But, but so you're able to get these lures without it costing you any money. Tim is actually very astute when it comes to buying lures. He has an uncanny ability to see a good deal. I actually wonder if he is part computer. Ah, shucks, Lucy. Now you're embarrassing me. The results speak for themselves. Tim bought the 1,118 lures for a total of $1,488. That's $1.33 per lure. He kept 512 lures and sold the remaining 606 lures for an average of $2.64. As of today, he has $113 more than when he started. Okay, so let me get this straight. You kept 512 lures and made a profit of $113. Now that's some good picks. That's right. It's kind of like somebody paid me $113 to fish 512 new lures. So about how much is this 512 lures worth? I've got this question, Tim. Based on eBay sales of similar fishing lures during the past three months, the 512 lures have an estimated value of $916. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, So tell me how you pulled this one off, old buddy. Well, I've learned so much about buying lures over the past four months. So as I said, I wanted to get lures to fish and break even at least on uh, on the money I spent. My goal wasn't to collect the most expensive lures or to sell lures at the highest price I could get. In fact, I wanted to sell lures quickly so that I could take my money, get it back, and then buy more lures with it. Well, now I've been picking for many decades and do know a bit about seller motivation, but uh, help the readers understand why someone would sell you a lure for a dollar when it's really worth $2. That's a great question. And what I learned was that there were a lot of reasons why people sell fishing lures for less than they're actually worth. 
first, they might have just a huge number of lures and they want to get rid of some of them. So one guy sold me 325 lures for $300. That's only 92 cents a lure. They were almost all hard baits, crank baits, jerk baits, and lures like that. And many of them were brand new. He was older. He couldn't fish anymore. And he just wanted to get rid of them and get 300 bucks in his pocket. So he was thrilled to sell them all at once. And I was certainly thrilled to buy them all at once. I found other people who were selling full tackle boxes, maybe like at a garage sale. They just wanted to get rid of the tackle box. They, they had a lot of things to sell and they didn't really care about maximizing the price. They just wanted it out of their garage. One guy I met bought storage lockers, just like you see on TV, the storage wars. And so he would buy a storage locker and then he would try to flip the whole thing. So I bought a full tackle box from him. It was part of a full storage unit. His goal was just to flip it and get his money back. So he didn't care about maximizing the price for that tackle box. He also had two kayaks and some other outdoor equipment, tents and other things that were in there. He was trying to sell it all at once. And then there was one guy I met. He bought huge collections at estate sales and he even bought out the inventory from tackle shops when they closed. So I go to his garage. He had thousands and thousands of lures to sell. So his prices were pretty low. He took, he was a collector. He would take the most expensive lures out, but there were a lot of just good lures in there that he was selling for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. He just needed to move them and he could still make a profit because he paid so little for the whole batch. Okay, so where did you come across all this? Was this eBay, uh, Facebook Marketplace? Uh, how'd you find all this stuff? Well, a lot of people go to garage sales and auctions and flea markets, but John, I just don't have time for that. I mean, you can go to a flea market and not find any fishing lures at all. So I really focused on eBay and Facebook Marketplace. There are pros and cons to using each of them. With Facebook Marketplace, you can find lures close to home. So you can go and look at them before you buy them, which is useful. And because there's no shipping costs, you can get better deals on Facebook sometimes. People also advertise local garage sales. So the guy whose garage I went to that had the thousands and thousands of lures found him on Facebook Marketplace. He was local to me, so I could just drive right over to his house and, uh, and take a look at them. On Facebook, you're more likely to find lures that people are just trying to get rid of. Um, and also people don't know a lot about lures or they're not really attached to, to them. They just want to get them out of their garage. With eBay, the biggest con is that you have a shipping cost almost all the time. So if you buy a lure for $5 and you're charged $4 shipping, you really just bought a $9 lure. It's not a $5 lure. So you always have to look at the shipping costs. And some people try to charge ridiculous shipping with a low lure price to try to trick you. So for example, they say, hey, the lure's a dollar, but I'm going to charge you 14 bucks to ship it to you. So you're buying a $15 lure. Yeah, that's that's a common trick on eBay. And and definitely read the whole listing, read all the listing, and definitely look at that, that uh, shipping cost. Um, now, you know, I totally agree. Garage sales and auctions are better for pickers like my wife, Kathy, in, in that she's looking for a variety of items. But if you're just hunting one category like lures, then shopping from the comfort of your home is the way to go. I mean, you can look at hundreds of lures quickly without having to dig through all this stuff at a live sale. But, you know, like everything, there are exceptions. Um, <clears throat> it does pay to go over auction and estate sale lists because an entire private collection may go on sale at one of these. Uh, the other day, Kathy showed me an excellent online auction uh, that had over 500 really serious vintage lures, many with boxes. So this was a, a person's entire collection going up. 
Uh, and you had the best of both worlds because it was an online option. You could just troll the lures that were in it and hang out and bid on the lures that were in it. So, but like a lot of this stuff, these, these collections are for other collectors and they will show up. I don't know how ready you'd be Tim Tacklebox beat to take one of those 50 year old Creek chubs in mint condition out of its box and go fish with it. Right. So you got to know who you are and what your motivation is. Your motivation is not to have a bunch of box, bunch of lures in shadow boxes on the wall. You want lures that you can go out and use and sell and deal and fill up your tackle box. Uh, my girl does a lot of the stuff online because you know, it's her job. And, and, and actually in the morning while I'm making her breakfast, usually she's sitting there trolling right there there with you on FB marketplace. Yeah, it's really a great place. And you know, the, the key question for me is how do you tell how much a lure is worth? Because if I'm going to buy it for a dollar and sell it for two, I need to know that I can sell it for two or else I'm not going to be able to flip it and, and make any uh, money. A lot of people think just because a lure is 40 years old, it's an antique. It must be very valuable. It must be worth a hundred bucks, but that's just not true. No, I'm, I'm telling you, um, you know, for example, Kathy has years of experience and research that she's done in order to value vintage merchandise. And she has to be able to value it on the spot to figure her margins and so forth in her head. Uh, because a lot of times she's live and she's going to have to dick her or, or what have you, or when she's on the phone, but even so said with the marketplace deals and so, uh, and so forth, you need to know a bit about worth. Um, and you are absolutely right. Age is really just a starting point to basically categorize items, you know, an item 25 to 50 years old is vintage. 51 to 99 is very vintage. hundred and over is antique. As I mentioned in the river runt story, one must really start with condition. Condition is king. Uh, and then familiarity with the number of items issued is a big indicator of value. And then at last, finally collector appeal is a huge factor. I mean, you may find a plain black broom handle chugger that was handmade in the 1890s, and it might be cool, or it might be cool to you and me because we're just lure geeks, but it probably won't have the value of a lure with eyes or a pattern or a name to maker or a box, or uh, even though the black one is older and in better condition, it's just collectors aren't feeling it. They just don't, you know, it just doesn't carry the demand. And there used to be a lot of published price guides you could look up, but you know, by the time a guide is published, the prices are out of date. And here's one of the lessons I learned. In general, what you find is that a hard bait, a crankbait, jerkbait that is vintage, 25, 50 years old, it's worth about five bucks. Almost anything that you see, if you said, well, how much is that worth? I'd say probably about five bucks. And it's certainly not a hard and fast rule. Um, and there are there are certainly some that are worth, you know, 50, 100 or more. Most vintage lures are worth about what a new lure would cost you. Now, spoons and spinners are worth a lot less. In general, I would say spoons and spinners are worth 25 to 50 cents and maybe less than that. And then you have categories like your plastic worms, hooks, bobbers, and other tackle almost have no value. You can find somebody to buy it, but you know, people are out there trying to sell old lead weights and there are just fewer collectors of, of those. Of course, there are expensive collectible lures, but as a general rule, that's kind of been my experience. Um, but the truth is a lure is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And so the real question is, how can I tell what somebody is willing to pay for it? Exactly, Tim. Exactly. You need to find out, you know, what they're willing to pay for, what, you know, how, what's, you know, the value to them. And uh, you know, kind of know kind of the way the the market is running at a particular time. So uh, 
how are we going to do that, buddy? Well, it's pretty easy because of computers and eBay. So if you go to eBay and you search for any lure, and I like to use terms like vintage fishing lures or vintage lure lot, if I want to see a broad range of lure types, but you can search for a specific lure too, like vintage Zara spook. And if you're if you're going to pay shipping, you might as well amortize the cost over a bunch of lures. That's why I look for lure lots rather than individual ones. If I'm going to pay five bucks for shipping, I can get 10 lures for five bucks or I can get one lure for five bucks. So you go to uh, eBay, you do that search, and then you click on filter and select the sold button. And what you'll see is what people actually paid for specific lures or a specific lure. And while there may be a range based on color, condition, and the other factors that you mentioned, you'll quickly get an idea of what others are paying for it. And since they're all recent sales, it's the best way to determine what a reasonable price is for a lure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Kathy uses eBay all the time, even though she's not shopping. We'll find uh, the other day she found some ceramic retro signs from the 90s. And we had, you know, we put one value on them, then we checked and, oh boy, we better change our minds because they were doing better than either of us had guessed. So definitely uh, a great trick there. Hit the sold. And that is a great way to start seeing uh, which way the wind is blowing on that lure that you're either looking to buy or sell. And here's another eBay trick. Uncheck the filter, the sold button, and click the sort button again, and then click on ending soonest. And this will show you all the eBay auctions that are about to end. So then I look for lures with no bids, and I notice their prices. Because if nobody has bid on an item, and most of these auctions are seven days long, you know that the minimum bid is too high. And if that person is accepting offers, I sometimes make an offer lower than the minimum bid when there are just a few hours left on the auction. Sometimes sellers feel kind of desperate at that point and they're often motivated to sell and take that lower price. But what it tells you is what price is too high as well. And some of the prices that people ask are just crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a a thing there where people think, they've got more value than, than they really have. And, and, uh, also there are just people trying to maximize and honestly don't know what the high price is or have been told something silly and, uh, and they don't, don't know how to do their research. So there's all kinds of reasons, a uh, price may be, um, off the, off the, uh, charts a little bit, but, uh, never be afraid to approach those people and see if they're willing to move because they got it for sale for a reason. All right, so give us an example, a specific example of how all this works. Okay, Lucy, fire up eBay for me. Accessing your eBay account. Oh, you let Lucy access your eBay account? I'm watching Tim's buying habits and writing an algorithm so I can become a fishing lure tycoon. Okay, let's see. Here's a listing for a vintage Arbogas jitterbug with a plastic lip. Now, that's an interesting lure. They call it a war bug because of the plastic lip. It was manufactured during World War II when Arbogast couldn't get metal for the metal lips on the jitterbugs, so they substituted plastic. They only did this for a certain time, so there aren't as many of these, so that they're a little bit more valuable. Very collectible lure. I would certainly like to get one of those to fish. The minimum bid is $9.99. That doesn't seem too bad on the surface to me, but let me check to see what some of the recent sales of this lure are. Okay, warbugs are selling for $20 to $30 and even more. Now, when I blow up the photo of this lure for sale, I can see the plastic lip is warped. So that's not going to be as valuable to a collector. And 
I don't want it because it's not fishable. You can easily bend a, a metal lip back, but a plastic lip, you're not going to be able to, to bend. So this really is not of interest to me. Updating my algorithm with that information. Well, this is a perfect illustration of why condition is so important. Here's a good old lure with really nice paint and a high collector demand. It's small issue. It has huge appeal because the paint job is so unusual. Uh, but condition issues have cut the value badly. It's like a chip on the crystal vase, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, John. Now, here's another listing. This one is for vintage fishing lure and accessories lot. So it looks a little bit like a grab bag. And the seller has a minimum bid of $12.99, but nearly $10 in shipping. And there's an hour left in the auction. There are no bids. Let's take a closer look at the photos. Let me see. So this is a lot of junk. There's some old fishing line. There's a few bobbers, some hooks. There, there is a Panther Martin spinner new in a package that has a little bit of value, but you know, I don't think I would pay $5 for this, let alone more than 20. This has no interest to me. Excellent work, Tim. Nope, nope, nope. You're right, Tim. This is not a good lot. You see, valuing merch is a skill that both buyer and seller must acquaint themselves with, right? I just said that a lot of people think everything they've got is worth big bucks. On the other hand, it's the job of a dealer to try to get all they can out of an item. But uh, man, this lot isn't even worth an offer. Now, here are two vintage bomber lures. Bombers are pretty collectible, and I have a few of these, um, but I can immediately see these two are banged up. So they're probably fine to fish, but not that collectible. The seller has a starting bid of $10 with five bucks in shipping. So that's $7.50 a lure. That is way too much for these. I can get bombers in better condition for less than that. So again, John, now you have a condition here. But also the price is too high, even if these were in good condition from what I've seen. So I would pass on these as well. Well, you know, it's hard for me to walk away from a lot of bombers. Okay. People will get a better price out of me because I have a real soft spot for that lure. But I agree with you because I'm looking for better bombers to put in my collection and cheaper ones for my tackle box. Okay. Now this looks promising. Here's a vintage mixed lot of 17 plastic lures. The current bid is $20.50, six fifty dollars in shipping. So at the current bid, that's only $1.58 per lure. So I am immediately interested because that's such a low price. Let's look at the photos and see what's there. There are a few river runs, a rebel popper, a hula popper. Yep. At the current bid, this is a great buy. I could definitely keep a few of the better pieces here and sell the rest for what I paid for, for all 17 lures. Tim, should I bid $23 and monitor this auction for you? Sure thing, Lucy. Full steam ahead. Aye, Captain. And when do you find out if you want it, Tim? Well, this one still has more than a day in the auction, so it's going to be a little while. Okay, so Lucy, tell me, Tim won a lot of auctions to get more than a 1,000 lures? Tim made 26 purchases with an average of 43 lures per purchase. Many of the purchases were full tackle boxes. So what do you look for when you see a tackle box full of lures? How do you decide whether you're going to buy it or not? That is a great question. And that's kind of the fun because an old tackle box is like a grab bag. You just do not know what you're going to find in there. You need to use your gut instinct. And um, you may not always be 100% certain that you can flip the lures for a profit, especially if there are a lot of lures in there. One rule that I use is if I can buy a hard bait, you know, crankbait, jerkbait for a dollar or less, I can almost always easily flip them. So if I see a tackle box with 50 hard baits and the price is 40 bucks, 
that's pretty low risk to me. If the price is between a dollar and $2 per lure, I need to see something of higher value that I can easily flip. And if the price is $2 or more per lure, there's a lot more risk unless I really know that there's a lure or two in there, you know, in the five and $10 range. For example, I saw on Facebook that a guy was selling 15 lures for 20 bucks, but I noticed there was a vintage Bill Norman weed walker lure in its original package. Now that's a $15 or more lure. So I paid $20. I sold that one lure for 19 bucks. So that was like getting the other 14 lures for a buck. That's a good deal. Wow. That is a good deal, but let's turn this on its head. Now I want to hear some of your selling strategies. Do you have more luck with singles or uniform groups or big lots or mixed lots or something else? Tell us about it. The packaging is really key, John, and there's definitely a strategy. So when you sell lures, people are going to pay the most for similar lures in my experience. So for instance, if you have a bunch of hula poppers and you sell four or five hula poppers together or four or five river runs together, because collectors are typically looking for the same type of lure. Or if somebody's looking to fish lures, they're often looking for a certain type. One guy that I met, he just loved a certain form of rebel lure and he always bought those. He was not interested in other brands. He wasn't interested in Rapala. He wasn't interested in other types of rebels. It was just that type. So if he saw a big batch of that, he was willing to pay a higher price for it. But in the end, I always end up with a lot of lower value lures because I'm buying for a couple that I want. And there's lures in there that are might be spoons and spinners that are, are worth, you know, a dime or 20 cents or some uh, crankbaits that are worth only a, a buck or so. So I bunch all those together and I sell them at about the same price I paid for them. Um, so the most lures I sold at once was 95 lures for $108. They were all fishable. It was a good deal for somebody else. You might say, well, why did you sell all of those? Well, part of it was to get the money back so I could reinvest it. But another part was they were just duplicates. You know, once I have a, a big bunch of lures, I'm not going to fish all of them. And that's really what my interest is. So I'd rather get the money back so I could reinvest that into new lures. Wow. 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 Awesome. 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 And I, I, if I was on the other end of that deal, I'm 95 baits for $108. I'd, I'd be all over it. Sure. But let's, uh, so those are some inexpensive baits. What's the most expensive lure you ever sold? I bought a lot of musky lures. Now I've never been musky fishing, but I just had to see these things. I love the big size of those. And I, uh, I sold a marathon musky monk, which is like a chipmunk imitation lure <laughs> for 26 bucks for the one lure. There were four other lures I sold for 25 each. And those were lures that I bought for less than a dollar each. So flipping those felt pretty good. I spent about 90 cents on each of those and sold them for 25 bucks. Wow, man, you're a fishing lure tycoon. You're going to be the Warren Buffett of the crankbait world, brother. I'm telling you. Now, were those lures difficult to sell? Some of the lures are difficult to sell. Like there aren't as many musky fishermen as there are bass fishermen, but you have to know where to advertise, you know, what keywords. There's a lot of, of kind of science that goes into that. And certainly Lucy was a big help um, with that. The hard baits are where the money is. The spoons and spinners have little value, even though I love looking at them, collecting them and fishing them. But the bottom line is not as many people collect metal as they do the plastic and, and wood. So for instance, if you like to fish with spinners and spoons, you need to buy the vintage stuff because you can get some great, great deals out there. And uh, the same is true for soft plastics. 
a 50-year-old rubber worm is not worth very much usually, unless it's in a package. And even then, not as many people collect them. Um, but even for the hard baits, some aren't worth as much as you would think. And it really surprised me which ones. Really? I'm anxious to hear this. Which ones aren't worth very much? Well, for starters, Rapalas. I love Rapalas. I love the look. I love to fish them. Um, even when they're in good condition, they don't get very high prices. Now, it may be because there's just millions and millions of them out there. I think that's what it is, because if you have a vintage Rapala and it's in good condition, they just don't get a lot of, of cash. It's just harder to sell them. Flatfish is another category that don't get high prices. Now, I like lazy Ikes, but people aren't willing to spend as much on them. There's a lot of them out there. So if I see a tackle box full of Rapalas and flatfish, I just pass on it because I have enough of them and they are really hard to move. Well, so what, what are you buying and what are some of your favorites that you plan to fish? Well, I love all the lures. So I, I bought uh, everything from ice fishing jigs to musky lures. Um, and even though they're not worth as much, I got a ton of nice spoons and spinners. I like to fish those for spinners. I got some traditional net spinners, as well as some panther martins and rooster tails. For spoons, I got everything from an Al's goldfish to some Hopkins spoons to a Castmaster to a Wobble Wright, and even some Wright and McGill spoons. I also got quite a few little Cleos and Daredevils. Now, Daredevils, I mean, they're not that expensive. Little Cleos that's one spoon that really holds its value pretty well. And they're, they're great to fish. And so I have a bunch of those. I got some blade baits, including a few head and sonar blades. Those held a, a pretty good price. I've really never fished blade baits before. And so I'm very excited about that. I also got some head and torpedoes from the teeny size on up. I got a bunch of Rebel Craws crankbaits. I love fishing Rebel Craws, one of my favorite crankbaits. Um, I got some classic ice fishing lures, including the Swedish Pimple and the Rapala Jigging Wrap, which is a great old classic uh, lure. The Jigging Wrap is cool because the line tie is in the top middle of the lure, and each end has a fixed single hook that's kind of embedded into the lure and then pointed upwards. Then there's a single treble hook hanging down the middle. And it's known as an ice fishing lure, but it can be cast and retrieved as well. It's really a classic. Yeah, I love that Rapala jigging wrap. That is a really unique lure, uh, an exciting lure. It just shows that the innovation never ends. Um, but yeah, you're you're collecting around and you're getting some uh really cool stuff and and some of my favorites i mean i'm a big fan of little cleos they're just such a cooler and we're going to profile them on kaler one of these days i guarantee you and uh remember y'all you know tim already did a bunch of research on how when you do get these vintage lures you can clean them up with a little wd-40 uh if you haven't heard that episode go and and listen to it because one of the things you'll want to make sure what you do if you're buying spinners you're buying spoons you want to clean them up if a spinner won't work unless all those metal parts are nice and free and able to turn and, and, uh, you want your, your spoons nice and shiny. So they give off the right amount of light. So don't be afraid to pull out, uh, your WD 40 and clean up these things because whether you're collecting them or not, or using them, you, you want them to look good. Um, but, uh, you're telling me about a kind of stuff that, that you and I might use, uh, because we both have very similar fishing habits, but, I noticed you sent me a picture of some big honking lures. I think they were musky lures. Uh, I know you got the you got the duck because uh, you couldn't wait to show it to me, and that's awesome. But let's let's talk about some of these big honking lures that you just bought. 
Oh, absolutely. So I got an eight inch Cisco kid musky bait. It has a big metal lip on it. It's a diving bait. Beautiful thing. I mean, it's, it's, you could use that thing in salt water for a striped bass or, or bluefish. Um, three big treble hooks on it. I also got a musky size jitterbug in a frog pattern. It has three large treble hooks, two on either side and one in the rear. It weighs an ounce. <laughs> Whoa. Then I got the baby duck that you mentioned, John. Seven inches long. It's a black baby duck lure with yellow feet that spin when you retrieve it. It weighs in at two and a half ounces. It is a big honking lure. Um, and I haven't fished for muskie before, but they are in our area, and I am stoked to give this a shot. Wow, that sounds so, so exciting. Uh, best of luck to you on that one. I can't wait to hear about it. Now, how about some classics? I know you sent me some pictures of some real classics. Well, first, I got quite a few South Bend Arenos, and the uh, the Areno name is attached to so many different lures. I got a fly arena, which is a one inch long wooden popper meant for uh, fly fishing or light spinning. It has a double hook hanging down in the middle of it. Um, then I got an entire factory box brand new of Trix Arenos, which is a 120th ounce tiny trout spoon. And each spoon comes with these small white plastic trailers that you can put on them, almost like you used to put a pork rind or something on a, a trailer, but they're made out of little pieces of plastic. I got a fisherino, which is a wooden plug with a metal head, which I just love the looks of. So it dives deep. So it's all wood, except it has this big metal head. It looks like a robot or something. Um, and uh, just love the combination of the wooden metal together. And then uh, from Hedden, I have some great crankbaits. I got a Hedden Tadpoly. I got some river runs, a few midget digits and a Firetail Sonic. But the best Hedden I bought was, a, this was mint condition, Head and Meadow Mouse, which is a floating gray crankbait. And it's covered with this fuzzy mouse-like fur coat and a leather tail. It was not in a box, but it's clearly never been fished. And I think it's probably like a $15 or $20 lure, but that is definitely going in the water. And then I got a, a few nice Creek Chub Pikes, a lot of bomber crankbaits, some chug bugs. I mean, the list goes on and on. Oh, God. I'm telling you, listeners, you, I wish you were here right now. I mean, this man is sweating. This man is turning <laughs> red. He is into this all the way up to his ears, baby. I'm loving just listening and, and, and watching. And uh, you, you're a man uh, after my wife's own heart, because whenever she takes something vintage and, and uses it, I'm like, really? And she's like, hey, you know, makes all the rest of them worth more. So if you're going to take that one lure out and change it from new condition to used condition, I hope you get a big one, man, because I can't wait to see what goes on. Now, you know us. We are into the, the regular and the historic and what works, but we're also into the crazy, the strange, and the unusual. Uh, any kind of that merchandise come your way? I did get a few strange lures, and I love looking at these kind of gimmicky lures, I would call them. First, I got a few electronic lures. One is a Lure King USB rechargeable lure that twitches after it hits the water. It has a water sensor in it. Um, another is an eyeball-shaped lure with a single treble hook. And when it's activated, the eye has like an LED light in it, and it glows green. And I think it's meant for either deep water or ice fishing. It didn't have a brand name on it, but I got six or seven of those. Then I have a lure from the Real Bait Company. And the lure looks like a brown chili pepper, but it's actually a real minnow that they took and encased in plastic. And it's just yellowed over the years. 
and they ran a thin wire through the minnow to a single treble hook in the back. So really kind of a crazy, crazy uh, lure. I can't imagine that that ever worked any better than a plastic lure. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the old slip covers by Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> used to take your chair and wrap it in plastic so it stay new, even though it's going to stay new because no one wants to sit in it now. All right. <laughs> All right, man. It's exactly like that. And then I got a whiptail minnow made by Brokaw Industries in Cleveland, Ohio. And I can't wait to fish this. It's supposed to look like a leech or a salamander. It's five inches long and it has two large treble hooks pre-installed, but one treble hook is facing forward and one backward. And so if you can imagine this, your line goes through the eye at the head of the lure, and then it goes to the back of the lure where you thread it right through the plastic tail. There are some holes in the back that go through the tail, and then it goes back toward the front where it ties to the eye of the second treble hook. And the idea is that you can control the lure like a puppet. So it had these different guide holes in the back, and when you twitch it, it kind of bends the entire lure, so it's supposed to look like an injured salamander, and I cannot wait to fish this. I have am very confident it will not work as they have outlined, but I still want to try to fish the thing. I think it's one of these gimmick things that seemed like it was good on paper. And then you put your line through and you just feel like this is not going to work out the way it was intended. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, of course you want to fish it. You all, you know, you want to put it to the test. I, I um, gimmick lures and, and, and uh, lures with, you know, ideas like that. Uh, you know, that's part of the fun. You know, if you run across them, I, uh, well, we will get that out in the water at some point and, and report back. One of the best parts about buying lures is that I have met such great people, both in person and online. There was one woman I sold a tackle box full of vintage lures to, and I asked her if she fished and she said no, but every Christmas, she always bought her son a box of a tackle box full of vintage lures. And this was his Christmas present for this year. So I felt this is just a really kind of personal connection I sold a spoon to a guy who needed that specific color to complete his entire collection. So that just feels good. You feel this, you know, I, it meant more to him than it did to me. So I was thrilled to, uh, to get it to him. Just gave me a great feeling. There was another guy. He bought a purple jitterbug from me because his daughter loves purple and he collects purple lures. That all is so fantastic. That is the, the sunny side of picking. I mean, you make a deal, you come together, everybody's happy and you get a great feeling. I love this guy buying the purple lures because that's how my daughter collects. She didn't care about value. She didn't care about anything, whether we're doing marbles or pop bottles, it doesn't really matter. She wants the one she thinks appeal, you know, appeal to her. I mean, this is what we come back to, you know, buyer appeal. And uh, when you run into this particular customer, you got purple, which is not, often the easiest color to sell but he's he's going to snatch him up because he's got somebody that's going to give him a big hug and say thank you daddy so he's got plenty of motivation to grab onto that purple lure so these are great stories i love it there was another guy he goes to a lot of garage sales and he always has probably 30 or more full tackle boxes for sale so i, I stopped by his house check to see what he got um he's unable to work so he kind of does this on the, as a as a side hustle so it's great. He's out there collecting this stuff. And um, I have bought two or three uh, full tackle boxes from him. I also bought that big 24 inch display lure from him. He gets all kinds of uh, good stuff. And I've met several members of the National Fishing Lure Collectors Club too. And I'm planning to go to one of their events in the future. Yeah. Meeting people is one of the best parts of doing any of this. And 
part best part of picking too i uh can't wait uh you got me in one of those collector club uh facebook pages and i i get in there when i can but uh it has a lot of stuff getting posted all the time and uh gee i'm just kind of worried though if you go to the collector's club event are we going to even get you back man or are we going to have to send out a search party you may have to send out a search party or I, I may find that I barricaded myself in my basement through all the lures and can't find my way out again. But I'll, John, I'll tell you the most interesting person I met was Ray Allen. So I bought this large lot of lures and there were three musky sized crankbait lures in there. And I would never seen anything like them. The best way to describe them is I would say they look like horses. Each had this long tail that looked like a horse's tail. And the lure itself had two jointed sections and the front of the lure sloped down kind of like a horse's head. And the two sections are made of solid molded plastic. And there were hand painted stripes going up the sides of these things. I could not figure out who made the lure because a lot of these older lures, they don't have any brand identification on them. They weren't, you know, it might have on a package, but not on the lure itself. And these didn't have any. And I have found the most helpful Facebook group to identify lures and learn about them is Steve Kraft's Antique Fishing Tackle Collectors Group. I will put the link in the show notes, but I can't tell you how helpful the group is. It has more than 7,000 members and they are a wealth of knowledge. So I would post a photo there and just say, hey, can anybody help me to ID this lure? And then you hear back. Well, usually you hear back right away, but nobody knew what this lure is. But finally, I get contacted by Ray Allen, who happens to live less than 20 miles from me. And he told me that the lures looked like the Waterloo lures that he collected, but he had never seen any that large. The ones he collects are about two inches long, and the ones I had bought were about six inches long. So Ray was interested. He wanted to buy the lures for his collection. I definitely wanted him to have them because he was a wealth of knowledge. He was, he, not many people collect these Waterloo lures. And so they really belonged in his collection. So Ray says, do you want me to bring my entire collection, my display to your house and show it to you? Well, I was like, yes, please show up. So I can't tell you, this was amazing. So he brought this big case that he brings to events to display the lures. And he told me that uh, it was Daryl Walters from Springboro, Ohio, close by who do, uh, who designed this Waterloo lure in the late 1950s. By the mid 1960s, Daryl Walter started to uh, actually manufacture these out of his home using the name Walters Enterprises. And they came in 34 colors and Ray had every single one of them. There were six base colors with these different color stripes, different um, types of stripes and colors as well. And this lure has just a huge vibration when you when you retrieve it. I've never seen anything like it. They advertised the lure as virtually crack proof, and it used stainless steel parts and um, a cadmium plated hook so you could fish it in fresh or salt water. And this nylon tail is epoxied into the plastic rear section. Each lure has a lifetime guarantee on it. Crazy, crazy thing. Here's the funny thing. Ray brings this to me, and he not only has the lures, he has ads for them. And the ad showed a fish dressed like Napoleon Bonaparte with a hat and jacket with one of the fins going into the jacket. And the tagline was, he's met his Waterloo, meet your Waterloo here. That's why they called it Waterloo Lures. And Ray had ads, order forms, patent drawings, even business cards, just an amazing collection. 
Wow, that just sounds fantastic. I uh, I can't even, you know, I'm just sitting here stunned. Uh, it's always so fun to look through a, a collection that's well-organized, uh, that's targeted like that, um, has a lot of the ancillary materials like the ads and so forth. Yeah, just incredible. But that's not even the best part. So Ray not only knew everything about this, he had never seen these larger lures before, but he knew the guy who was the prototype tester for Walter's Enterprises, who's still alive. So he contacted him, showed him photos. The prototype tester had never seen these versions before. So our guess is that these were musky prototypes that never made it to market. We're not sure. Um, but so we actually discovered something. So I said, Ray, you have to have these in your collection. You know, I'm not going to fish these. So Ray bought all of those. Later on, in another batch of lures that I bought, I got an early wooden Waterloo that I sold to Ray. So now if I find a Waterloo, I just contact Ray and say, hey, do you want these? Will these work in your collection? But I've also kept a couple of the more common ones for myself to fish, and it can't wait to get these out to catch some smallmouth with them. And Ray attends a lot of the National Fishing Lure Collectors Club events, and I hope to see him again at a future one, but just a great guy with an amazing collection. Tim, tell John about the things you got besides lures. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you find things other than lures in a tackle box. So I've got a few nice fillet knives, some antique wooden bobbers. I got an old Zepco Delire, one of those weight scales that was accurate within like 50 pounds because it was just a <laughs> spring in there and it couldn't tell you the weight anyway. Um, I got a depth gauge that measures the water depth by lowering it into the water. And it's a combination depth gauge and thermometer. I also got a uh, vintage silver aluminum Umco tackle box that's worth about 25 bucks. I got five or six fishing reels that just came in a lot of lures that I plan to sell. Um, and I even found an old fly rule in the bottom of a tackle box. The tackle box cost 30 bucks. I sold the fly reel for 35 bucks just a fly reel. And, and I had blown up the photo and then searched on eBay and I saw that was a value. The seller obviously didn't think there was any value in the fly reel, but it, that was worth more than all the lures combined. Wow. Now you're making me want to get on eBay and Facebook marketplace more. Although uh, I think if I drag one more fishing item into this house, I may get evicted, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't want to be bidden against you though. You yeah, that's just it. That's just it. You're like, why is this going on? I'll be like, Crappie Ippy, are you out there? <laughs> now, there are still a couple of things that I'm looking for. Actually, more than a couple, but I'll tell you two that I have not found yet or not found at a price that I'm willing to pay. And one is I'm in search of a relatively inexpensive Doug English bingo lure. So if there's anybody out there that wants to send one to me, shoot me an email. Um, they tend to run 20 to 30 each, very collectible, and they come in a huge number of colors. Doug English was from Texas, and uh, the lure is super collectible. The Retro Bassin YouTube channel did an incredible episode just on the, the bingo. Um, really kind of a fascinating lure, and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. And I also, just for nostalgia's sake, I am looking for a package of vintage man six-inch grape jelly worms. This is one of my favorite things to fish as a kid. Um, I love them. It's hard to find things like that that are, are vintage. I love the smell of the grape. I caught a ton of bass and other fish on them. And so that's something else I'm looking for. Well, I'm telling you now, I got my hawk eyes on because I will be looking for that unopened package <laughs> of man grape jelly worms because 
you know, that's what buddies do for each other. So I come across one brother. It is yours. Um, buddy, this has all been so fascinating. I, I love, uh, hearing about your journey from going to a de uh, desire and, uh, taking the time to educate yourself and, and to get deep down into this. Uh, that's what we do. We're both a couple of crazy nerds and, uh, this is just fantastic. I can't wait to hear what you buy in the future and as well as what you're going to be catching on these vintage lures. I just can't wait. Tim, I've calculated what it will take for you to become a fishing lure tycoon, assuming becoming a millionaire makes you a tycoon. Since you made a profit of $113 after buying 1,118 fishing lures, your profit was just within 10 cents per lure purchased. All you need to do to become a millionaire is buy 10 million fishing lures. Easy peasy. Oh, 10 million fishing lures. Well, if anybody can do it, then Tim Tacklebox Beat can do it. And I can't wait. Uh, please don't forget me when you become the fishing lure tycoon of the world, because uh, 10 million lures later, uh, I don't know, man, you, you, you know, you, you're going to be on a, on a new level and uh, don't forget your old buddy crappie hippie when you when you go by if you if you would, please. Does Plano make a tackle box that holds 10 million lures? I'm going to have to check online and see. It might, might take more than one, maybe a couple of those small plastic boxes. Either way. Yeah, we got to get you a bigger box um, and uh, a bigger basement. That's it for another episode of the Lure Love podcast. Let us know about your lure buying deals and strategies. Just click on the microphone icon in the bottom right corner of our website and record your message to us. We might even play it in a future episode and... While you're there, help us identify the maker of the 24-inch display lure I bought, and you could win a nice selection of lures from Glasswater Angling tied by the crappy hippie himself. Oh, yeah. We got some great prizes. Uh, we're going to let you pick out a T-shirt that you want, and we're going to send you uh, a big kit of Glasswater Angling crappie doolers, and I will tie you up a uh, half dozen jigs on top of that. Help us figure out who made this giant lure, please. Lure Love is brought to you by Glasswater Angling. You can find our lead-free lures and other lead-free tackle at glasswaterangling.com. And always remember the Lure Love motto, why buy one lure when you can buy 103? Or 1,118. Lure Love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure Love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures and you can buy a hundred?